seem to be around this theme of hope. The idea that we have been looking towards something in this year to enable us to have some hope. Whether that's, you know, in March we're going into a lockdown for 12 weeks that's going to break the back of coronavirus. Or whether that's, you know, we're going to get a good deal out of Brexit or whatever it may be. This year has been one of looking for hope in something. And so we thought that we would be doing a series on hope. And we hope that it would encourage you as well. So many of you don't know me or haven't had a chance to get to know me yet because of the pandemic, but for those of you that don't, it's worth mentioning I'm not a particularly patient person. I find waiting incredibly difficult, and my wife will tell you that being in traffic with me is not a pleasant experience. I find it infuriating. But I found in this season especially that waiting with a hope and waiting without a hope are two very different things. And the difference often is is the ability to endure the thing through which we're waiting in. So the difference between waiting without a hope and waiting with a hope is actually being able to wait well, to be able to get through the thing that we are waiting for. And the Bible speaks a lot about hope. And it defines hope a little bit as well. And so in Romans chapter 8, verses 23 to 25, it says this, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, with patience. We are a people who live in hope. The Christian life can be almost defined as one lived in hope. Hope for what Jesus has done in his coming, hope for what that means in our lives, and hope in the promised return of Jesus. So what then is the the hope of Christmas? What then is the hope that we are speaking about in this season of Advent? And this season of Advent is all about, as we've already spoken about this morning, morning, preparing our hearts, preparing our minds to receive the coming Saviour. But for the people who were waiting for the very first Christmas, that wait was a long time. The promise of Christmas, the promised hope of Christmas was one that has been since almost the very beginning of time itself. And in order to fully understand this hope, the hope of Christmas, we also need to understand the hopelessness of our situation without Christmas, without the hope that we have, that we remind ourselves in at this time of year. The hope which makes, the hopelessness which makes Christmas necessary and all the more glorious because of it. So we're going to go to Genesis 3 this morning, which may seem like a very un-Christmassy passage to be in as we start our Advent series. But in order for us to see the lights of the star we have to experience the darkness of the night. 
And the story of Genesis 3 will be familiar to many of us. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation account where God, as an overflow out of who he is, out of his satisfaction and, and love in himself, created the world. And he created in complementary pairs, like the sun and the moon, all the way down to Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of creation. And at every step, he declared his creation good. It's good, it's good, it's good. And Adam and Eve are created, and it's very good. And then we get to Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is the story, again, that will be familiar to many of us, where the snake comes into the garden. And Adam and Eve have been given free reign over the entirety of God's good creation with nothing bad in it. No evil, no shame, no suffering, no sickness, no death, nothing that could harm them. And full, perfect communion with God. But they're given one rule, and the rule is, do you can have anything in this garden apart from you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes in and whispers in Eve's ear and says, you know, actually, does God actually say that? You're not going to die, as God has said, if you eat this. You'll just be like him. And Eve looks at the tree and sees that the fruit's good to eat, and it will make her like God. And so she eats, gives some to Adam. And sin and suffering and death and sickness and pain and misery enter the world. And above all of that, we are separated from God. See, the Bible in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3 says this. And we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, that's the bad news. That's the hopelessness of our situation. That's what makes Christmas necessary. That we were lost in sin. We were, we were dead in sin outside of a life with God. That we had no hope of, of redeeming ourselves from this situation. That we couldn't not sin. That we couldn't not choose to. And in fact, the reality is we want to. We want to sin. We want to be the gods of our own lives. We want to do things our way, no matter what the consequences. It leads to a hopelessness that goes right down to the depths of our being. And yet in Genesis 3, in, one of, in the worst situation that humanity has ever and will ever face, we see and hear the first promise of Christmas. See, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. This is the curse that God is putting on the snake, okay, as part of the sin. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. 
Now, at first glance, that, that doesn't necessarily appear to be very comforting. It's part of a curse that God has spoken over the snake, the serpent, the devil at that point in time. But when you look into what is being said, the hope that is being promised is astounding. That he is saying to the snake, I will crush your head. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to do that through the offspring of Eve and Adam. Through the offspring of one of those who have rejected me. Through the offspring of this family who have chosen to try and do things their own way. That the promise that Adam and Eve are hearing in that moment is there is one who is going to come who will undo the work that has separated us from God for all eternity. The first promise of Christmas happens as we're separated from God, that God plants that hope in the heart of mankind. That this is not plan B. This is not God responding to something he's surprised about. Jesus is not plan B. Christmas is not plan B. God has been preparing this from all eternity. He has promised Jesus at the very start of our hopeless situation that Jesus is coming. And there's a, a picture that I want to show you this morning, a painting that someone has done. And when I first saw this painting, I was moved to tears genuinely because it describes this promise in Genesis 3, 15. The only thing about this is that it's, it's not Mary that would be crushing the head of the snake. That's very much the promise for Jesus. But the picture here, that Eve would be looking to one of her offspring, looking to one who would come and would crush the head of the snake, crush the, the lie that God doesn't love us, that we can be like God, that that's the best thing for us, to come and to bring us back to God. That this is the picture of Genesis 3.15. This is the first promise of Christmas to us. And as we go through the rest of the story of the Old Testament, this picture builds. And so in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we read the promise of the call to Abraham. And we read, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, that's not been fulfilled in the nation of Israel. That's not been fulfilled in, in the direct descendants of Abraham. It definitely wasn't fulfilled in the time of Jesus. It definitely wasn't fulfilled in the, in the line of Abraham directly. That They struggled just to be blessed as a nation themselves, to be obedient themselves, let alone to be a light and a blessing to all the nations. And this promise to Abraham, again, was, was a promise of the offspring, that there is one coming from as, as a descendant of Abraham who will cause all the nations of the earth to be blessed. And if you're listening to this this morning and you're not Jewish, that is, that's you, that you have been blessed through an offspring of Abraham who is promised, who we celebrate at Christmas. We move then through the story, and in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises David, King David, one of the, the, the king that we look to in Israel, the, it's almost the epitome of what a good king should be, aside from an instance with Bathsheba. And he says this, that there's, one of your offspring is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. And again, we see that in the direct line of David, this, this isn't necessarily fulfilled, humanly speaking, that by the time of Jesus, there is no 
direct king sitting on the throne of Israel from David's line. They are puppet rulers for the Romans, and the Romans are in control of of Israel. So who then is, is God speaking about? He's speaking about a promise of Christmas. The coming offspring of David who will sit and rule with authority and peace and justice and might and power and glory and honour and love for all eternity. That there is one coming, an offspring of Adam and Eve, an offspring of Abraham, an offspring of David who is going to come and restore us to himself. Who's going to rule over us as God himself rules. And then as we go again through the story and we start to hit the prophets, these promises start to pick up. We start to get a pick up in tempo of these promises, of these hints, of these allusions as to who Jesus is and and what's coming and what the promise of Christmas will be. And this is where we get the familiar passages that we often read at Christmas. Passages like Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, which reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This hope, this promised saviour, the the snake crusher, the nation blesser, the king of glory, this has been building, this picture has been building, this promise has been building to a crescendo as, as the God's people, as humanity lives longer and longer in a in a sin ravaged, in a suffering fall, in a sickness devastated, death ever present world that the cry of their hearts becomes, would you come, Lord, and deliver us? Come, Lord, and set us free. Come, Lord, and do what you have promised. Come, Lord, and give us hope. And for us this morning, if you are a believer, that we are still a people that cry out, come, Lord. But our cry is not for the first promise of Christmas. Our our cry is not for that first hope, the hope of that that coming saviour. But our our hope, our cry is, is from the first Christmas. From the promise of what has been delivered at the first Christmas. So our cry is, come Lord Jesus. Our saviour, our friend our deliverer, our king. Our hope is not in the promised coming of the saviour, but in his promised return, where everything that he has done for his people will be realised and accomplished forever. And we will experience him, be with him for all eternity. Now there's a few points of, of application that I want to get to this morning. And the first is, if you are tuning in here and you're not a believer, if you're watching this live or in a repeat or anything like that, I just want to say to you, like, you know, the algorithms of the internet may appear random. 
that God's spirit works in those things. That there is no randomness to God and his plan and his purposes. And if you're listening to this this morning, it's not a mistake, it's not random, it's not chance. That God has wanted to hear, say to you this morning, for you to hear that, that there is a hope on your life. A hope for you and that hope alone is Jesus. That he alone can, can bring hope to the hopelessness of our situation of, of sin and shame and sickness and death. That he alone can bring that hope. And so my encouragement, my, my plea even to you would be to respond to the hope that we have in Christ. To, to comment on the comment section, to privately comment or to get in contact with the office or to contact someone maybe you know who's a Christian and, and to say, I want to respond to this or I want to know more about this hope and we would love to do that we would love to speak more about that with you but another piece of application this morning is for for those of us who do believe who are followers of Jesus and and really the the question that I have this morning is is your hope in Jesus alone Is your hope in Christ alone? Or have you been putting your hope in other things? So Tim Keller and some other people have done a little bit of work on idols and the idea of idols. And it's basically based upon this principle that no matter what sin we commit, it ultimately starts as a sin of idolatry, of putting our hope, our worship in something else. And they've come up with four root idols, four things that are at the root of, of the when we sin. And those things are power, control, comfort, and approval. And this season of our lives within the coronavirus pandemic has, has exposed our hopes. I think it'd be safe to say that, that what we've been putting our hope in, what we've been putting our trust in, what we've been hoping for to fulfill us, to, to give us satisfaction, to make our lives happy or the way we want them to be, that those hopes have been exposed. And if those hopes are not in Jesus, they've been shown to be ultimately wanting. So if your hope has been in power, are you feeling powerful this morning? Are you feeling powerful to change the circumstances and the situations we find ourselves in? If it's in comfort, you had a comfortable year? Has it felt comfortable in your life? If it's control, feeling control this morning, to change and affect any of the situations that we find ourselves in at the moment? If it's an approval, are you able to do any of the things that you want to do in order to gain approval from other people? Or are you restricted by the restrictions that we have on us? You see, hope in anything but Christ alone is fruitless. It ultimately lets us down and will never ever be able to offer us the life and the purpose and the meaning which we find when we put our hope in Christ alone. And I'm not saying it's an easy journey, and I'm not saying that I get it right. I'm not saying that I'm winning on this necessarily at all. But what I'm saying is that there is no other hope for us as believers. 
And if you are listening to this this morning, and I'm sorry if you've got a bit squirmy, and I'm sorry if it's not the nice Advent message you were hoping for, but this is a place for us to repent, to put our hope in Christ alone as as these other hopes are exposed as not being able to satisfy, as being sinful, and to remind ourselves again in this season that we have a hope, but that hope is Christ alone, the promised Saviour. And yet, if you're listening to this this morning and you're feeling hopeless, I don't know the situation that you find yourself in. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what have been the circumstances that have happened, whether it's because of this or it's been a long, long season and long journey for you. But what I know is this, is that God would say to you that there is a hope that that hope is in Christ. And if you put your hope in Christ, he will not let you down. Because he alone can do all that he has said he's going to do. So put your hope in Christ this morning and reach out. You know, we've, we've, we've come through a series of being together. Reach out. Reach out and ask someone to help you, to pray with you, to give you a perspective of of what our hope is in Christ. And finally, this morning, the piece of application I just want to just ask again is, as we prepare now for Christmas, as we go through this season of preparation in Advent for remembering the coming Saviour, let's prepare our hearts for his return. The coming Saviour, who will come and do all that he has accomplished. The offspring of Eve, the snake crusher. The offspring of Abraham, the nation blesser. The king of glory, the offspring of David. The one who we remember having come. And who we look to now and wait for his return. I'm just going to pray and I'm going to invite the band up um, as we pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the promises that you have given us about Jesus. I thank you that that you are our hope. And Lord, we want to just affirm again this morning that you alone are our hope. That there is nothing else that we can put our hope in that won't let us down but you will never let us down. You have done it. Lord, you have even said it is finished. And so this morning, may we put all of our hope in you and rejoice knowing that you are the God who is coming back.